When it comes to running long distances, there's not an animal on the planet that's better than humans. Yes, the cheetah, the horse, and even the ostrich are much faster at shorter distances, but humans can outlast them all. A big part of that comes from our ability to keep cool through sweat. But the other part, which perhaps is even more important, comes from our big brains. We have the ability to conceptualize abstract thoughts, plan for the future, and learn from our experiences. We can imagine what it will be like to run a marathon, make a plan to achieve it, and then learn from the experience to get better at it the next time. And this is the beauty of running, especially if you have fallen in love with it later in life. You can get better at it by not only training your legs, but your brain as well. I would argue that the number one thing your brain needs to get really, really good at racing your best is pacing. I did an episode a few weeks ago all about how important pacing is to your running and your life, but today is going to be different. In today's episode of the Planted Runner podcast, I invited the runner who literally wrote the book on pacing to teach you how to do it right. Matt Fitzgerald has written over 30 books to date on everything to do with running, and his new one, On Pace, Discover How to Run Every Race at Your Real Limit, is another must-read for runners. We talk about what it means to pace properly, why most runners are naturally really bad at it, and we also go over practical techniques that you can use today to get better at it yourself. Matt is always great to talk to, and I know you'll come away from this conversation with some new ways to pace and race just a little better. And be sure to stay tuned all the way to the end of the episode, where I'll share another Mental Strength Minute to fortify your mind in 60 seconds or less. Before I get into the conversation, I wanted to ask you if you have a plan to keep your running and fitness on track this fall. You know, after the big race is over and the shorter days and colder temperatures set in. And of course, during all the holiday drama. Instead of relying on motivation or going at it alone, come join an amazing group of runners just like you on my PR team. It's a virtual running team and so much more. You'll get a truly custom plan for all your running, strength, mobility, mental strength workouts, and more, all based on your fitness, goals, and lifestyle. You'll get all your questions answered by me and our super supportive team in a private online running community. And the coolest part is that you get access to my exclusive weekly private podcast just for the team. I answer questions on the show, give training advice specific to you and the rest of the team, and you can even stay anonymous if that's more your style. It's really the sweet spot between just getting a DIY plan and full-on private coaching, even though you'll get lots of individual attention if you want it all for as low as $75 a month. It is the perfect way to stick to your goals for the rest of the year and beyond. Not to mention, it's a ton of fun. Team spots are limited. So sign up today at theplantedrunner.com slash group. That's theplantedrunner.com slash group. And now here's my conversation with Matt Fitzgerald. Hey, Matt. Welcome to The Planted Runner. Great to be with you. Yeah, so you are a prolific writer. And once again, you've come up with another great running book. This one's called On Pace. So let's talk about pacing and running. First of all, why is it so important? Um, you know... <laughs> You know, where do I begin? Like for me, you know, I think a lot of I think a lot of runners think of pacing as they know what it is. They recognize that it's a skill um, and an important one. Um, but but for me, it's actually kind of the essence of, of the sport of, of distance running. Um, you know, if you think of, um, you know, other ways to run, for example, sprint competitions, like very mm -hmm. short races, 
there's no pacing element in, you know, a 60 meter dash, uh, right. You know, it's just like you, the, 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 the goal in any race is to finish as quickly as possible. Mm. And in a short sprint, the way you finish as quickly as possible is to start at a maximum effort and sustain a maximum effort until you're done. Um, and then if you look at, you know, fitness running where it's, it's not a sport, but the, you know, the goal is, um, you know, living longer or stress management or social time with someone, uh, you enjoy running with there, you know, there's no real pacing element there as well, because it's just a different kind of goal. You're just, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got a different agenda, but in, in the sport of distance running where you actually, it is a race, you know, you are trying to finish as quickly as possible, but the race is long enough that you simply can't, you know, you know, finish in the least time possible by running as fast as you can at any point until you're, you're close to the finish line. So it's just, it, it really is. It's like the defining characteristic of running that makes it different from other forms of running. And and the other thing I like to say about it and just, you know, making the case that it's important um, is that there, there are really just two ways to be, you know, quote unquote, good at running. One is to be able to run fast for a long distance. And that comes obviously from natural talent and from training. Um, mm-hmm. the, the other way to be good at running, I believe, is to be good at pacing and because pacing just allows you to get the most out of whatever ability you have. Like you can't do anything about your genes. You know, you, you can only train so much, but when you've worked so hard to get as fit as you can and you show up at the race, you don't want to waste any of that fitness. And if you pace poorly, you actually, in a sense, are wasting some of your fitness. Yeah. Yeah. This is the one place, maybe one of the places where getting older has an advantage. You know, you have the experience behind you. You've done it before because, you know, I run with my kids and what they do when I say go is they just take off. And then I don't know, hundred meters later, they're done, you know, and right. they have yes. no, <laughs> they have no innate sense of pacing. Their form right. is excellent. They run yep. beautifully. <laughs> But they just have no sense of taking their time and planning out what they're trying to do. So so if this is not an innate, um, you know, ability that humans have, how do we how do we develop it? You know, experience, you've already you said it, you know, experience is number one. Um, You know, they're you know, nobody is great at pacing in, in their first, you know, kids love to run, but they, you know, they race each other to the mailbox or they, you know, they play right. tag. It's always, it's always short and, and fast. And so, you know, that first time, whether it's at, you know, a local, you know, 1K fun run, that's part of, you know, mom's or dad's, you know, 10K race right. um, event or whatever, like you have that first taste of trying to, you know, as I put it earlier, run both fast and far. Um, and, you know, Almost every kid blows it, but you know, the, the second time you try the same thing, you do a little better. And there's actually been studies where they, they they have kids do a series of half mile races or whatever, and sure enough, they they get better every time. Um, so experience there's there's no substitute for experience. Um, however, not every runner learns the same amount from equal experience. Um, you know what you know what you know experts and in learning will will tell you is it's uh, learning you can the way to accelerate learning through experience is through reflection um so that's a big part of what i try to encourage in my book is actually you know don't just hope you get you know, don't just keep running and hope you get better at pacing work on it um yeah you know like if, if you just if you're if, just, if you're more mindful about your pacing while you run and you sort of analyze after the fact, what did I do right? What, what did I do wrong? You can accelerate the, the process of becoming a better pacer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had uh, somebody make a comment. I was talking about um, actually breathing, helping you running, you know, controlling your breathing. And somebody said, my dog runs great. He doesn't know how to count his breaths. Why, why <laughs> you know, why are we right. learning how to do this? And I did not respond the way I wanted to, but I wanted to say like humans actually are better than dogs at endurance. You know, we are one of the best species on the planet at endurance. And do you think it's because of our ability to reflect on it? Yeah. I mean, you know, one thing I mentioned in the book is, um, is that, you know, you look at other animals that, and, um, you know, they, uh, like, um, you know, in horse racing, there's a reason that horses, have jockeys riding them. It's because, 
you know, horses are not, they don't have the brain power to, to comprehend abstract distances. Like they don't know what a furlong is. Right. People do, you know? Um, and, and like, you know, in dog racing, they have to, you know, they have like a, a rabbit or something that they're, they're chasing. Like, you know, if they don't see the rabbit, they don't know how fast to go. Um, right. and so, yes, it is, it is unique. You know, you know, uh, there, there was a you know a study I mentioned in the book where they look at like cheetahs in the wild and and their hunting behavior, and they showed how like they have a sense of pacing as well. Like like young cheetahs will they don't know when to quit if like if they're not gonna if they're not, if they're not gonna get that particular gazelle, they right. they just keep going until they're exhausted. Whereas older ones who have experience, they like you know what this ain't working. I'll you know I'll try again tomorrow. So, you know, even the animals can learn, but again, like the cheetah has to see the gazelle, you know, you can't just say, you know, run the fastest marathon you can cheetah. Um, it doesn't work <laughs> that way. So yeah, there is something like we, we, we can all, all species can do it in one way or another, but humans can do it in a, in a kind of more sophisticated way. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, the thing about the marathon is, especially if it's your first one, most likely or hopefully you have never run that distance. We, we usually don't run the marathon distance while we train for our marathon. So there's so many unknowns, you know, and you show up on race day and you're tapered, you're fresh, you're excited, you've got the adrenaline going and it's so hard to pace, even though the classic advice is don't go out too fast. It is so hard to actually do it. Why do we struggle with it so much? Yeah, you know, it's exactly that, you know, um, you know, you know it, it, it's sort of an extension of the idea that experience is the best teacher because you're going to have the most experience at the shortest distances. Um, and, and so the pacing challenge just becomes amplified as, as the distance increases, you know, you know, I ran my first marathon at 28 and I had, you know, been a competitive runner as a preteen, as a, as a high schooler. Um, so I had running experience, but I completely blew my first marathon. I mean, I, I was walking like shamelessly early, like before <laughs> even nine, before even 19 miles, I was yeah. reduced to a, a walk. And my second marathon, I walked again. Um, and it wasn't because I hadn't trained. Like, like I was, I was, I considered myself a pretty good runner, but I was not a pretty good marathoner until I just, I, I had to learn the hard way. Now, some people do nail it the first time. I will say women more often than men. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't um, me. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, right. um, but yeah, but, and, and something that I emphasize in the book is like, it's okay to screw up. Like actually, you know, yeah, I, I like to say, um, you know, the, the road to pacing mastery is paved with pacing errors, like, you know, Ooh, scr yeah. screwing up. I mean, it, especially if it's a long race and you've invested, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks and you know it's going to be a while before you get another shot. Yes, it can be pretty devastating to to really blow it with your pacing, but it does it does teach you. You know, I was a little bit slow on on the uptake, uh, but eventually I did kind of figure out how to pace a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that we have the advantage of, or maybe it's a disadvantage, is we have these super fancy watches on our wrist and we can look at our pace on our watch, assuming GPS is a correct. Let's let's imagine it's perfect technology, which it's not. Um, we can look and, and see exactly how fast we are going at any given time. So what's the problem with that? Should we, should we, you know, not, shouldn't we use our watches as the tools they are? Uh, you know, it, that, you know, that's, that's a Pandora's box because, you know, <laughs> they, I mean, they certainly are. I, I remember, you know, I started running in 1983 and before these, before these technologies existed, I wanted them to exist. Like I couldn't, I, mm -hmm. I knew it was coming at some point. And so, I mean, they are very useful tools, but you know, you, your, your watch actually doesn't know how fast you can run a marathon. It has, right. you know, it has some idea, like, you know, some of the technologies they can, you know, pay attention to all, collect all your training data. And, um, the stride power meters are really good at that. Their, their race mm -hmm. predictors are pretty good, but, but they don't really know. And, and, and what is kind of unique about um, distance running and uh, other endurance sports is that, you know, we actually don't encounter any hard physical limits to our performance during the race until the, if you've done it right, until the very, very end, because, like it, it's humanly impossible to sustain a true maximal effort longer than about 30 seconds. 
So if you're if you're at a maximal effort before you're within 30 seconds of the finish line, you ain't finishing, or you're going to be you know doing like I did in my first marathon, and mm-hmm. and, and you'll be walking. Um, so so you're 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 always you know pacing means like intentionally holding back, and it's done by feel. You know it's it, and so the the only limit you ever certainly our performance is constrained by physiology, but the direct limiter we encounter is perceptual. And that's why in the book, I emphasize that a big one of the three kind of, you know, trait pillars of, of pacing ability is toughness, because the, the limit when it's a perceptual limit, it's it's fuzzy. And you can yeah. actually like if a runner is more motivated, they can actually push harder. Your, your Garmin, your Garmin, I don't need to pick on Garmin. I always do. I, I have a Garmin. I love it. But like <laughs> it does. It doesn't know any of that. So. It can it can certainly like it, it can be useful, but actually the, the runners who benefit most from their 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 devices are the ones who actually need them less. So so really like I encourage runners to use their device to not need it, uh, which is counterintuitive, but that is sort of the path to just being able to listen to your own body, read your perceptions, and become truly better at pacing. Yeah, we'll we'll get into those three pillars in uh, in just a second, and and I, let's actually let's go ahead and start with the first one, body awareness. So everybody wants to know how to feel their pace, but runners yep. are runners are data heads. We like numbers. We we like hard yep. black and white facts. We like zeros and ones. And so feeling is like you said a little fuzzy. So how yep. do we learn to do that? Yeah, yeah, well, that that is actually one of the reasons that it's best not to be too dependent on on data and, and and technology is because it actually steals your attention away from your body. Um, neuroscientists refer to this phenomenon phenomenon as cognitive out- offloading. Like I, mm-hmm. I remember having a cut my so I, I I write professionally for a living. My dad does too, and I remember. We, we were sort of talking shop one day and both admitting that we've gotten much better. I mean, what much worse at spelling since the advent of spell check. Right. And, and that's cognitive out- offloading. And, uh, and so anytime you rely on something external to your brain to do something for you, you get worse at it. Um, mm-hmm. So part of like just developing body awareness is it doesn't mean, you know, you, you, you throw your device into the ocean, but you, you, you sort of like do some runs when you don't look at it. And there are also you know, a lot of a lot of games you can play, and actually a lot of this is really gamifying training. It's, you're finding different ways to connect what you're feeling to what you're actually doing. Um, right. You know, so like you know, guess your pace. Those types of things are actually really helpful. So you're sort of calibrating uh, that body awareness. You can rely on it more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually used to do this. I um, for some reason got locked on the 7:30 per mile pace and it, that was that's slower than my marathon pace but it was a you know more than my easy pace and i, I knew that i was hitting that particular fa- pace the way the wind felt in my hair yeah. the way my yeah. elbows had to go back a little farther the way i had to push off my toes and i i i didn't do this on purpose i was just you know we got a lot of time to think when we're out there running and so yes, yeah. i was just like i'm going to try to feel that pace and i would look at my watch and try to get exactly on that pace just by the feeling so yeah. you know all of these little games Sometimes they seem sort of silly, but yep. they can be super helpful, you know, and, yep. and learning techniques like this can be a game changer, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and so my, my sort of colloquial definition of pacing is the art of finding your limit. Like, that's really what you're trying to do. Um, and, you know, your limit is sort of a fine line and, it, you know, it's always moving, but like, you know, it takes a cer- it takes a high degree of precision, it, it, you know, we tend to think of pacing and running as like very different from other sports skills. But like, if you look at like a, a professional golfer who is, you know, on their, you know, second shot of a par four and their caddy says, okay, it's 185 yards to the hole. Chances are that golfer is going to hit the ball somewhere between 180, and 190 yards, like really, really close to exactly like, how did they do that by consulting a watch? by running some calculations, by doing math in their head? No, it's entirely by feel. And so, you know, it seems like sort of just like magical, but it's not magic at all. It's just a matter of a lot of like intentional practice, repetition, mindfulness, paying attention. 
And you can get scary good at, you know, really, really, really refined pacing. And that is how you end up finding. So the, the idea is not to be great at guessing your pace. It's to find your limit in races. But but those little games you play in training are are, are mm-hmm. really helpful tools in, in getting you to your limit on race day. When you're a busy runner, it's not easy to get in all the running and training you need. On top of that, planning and preparing all the nutritious meals and snacks required to fuel you as an athlete can become an extra burden. So make it simpler on yourself and just make a shake after your workouts with the highest quality plant-based protein powder you can buy, Nurify by Prevenix. But don't just take my word for it. I recommend Nurify to all my athletes and here's what Julietta had to say about it. It's been a month since I bought Nurify and I'm super satisfied. This protein powder is my way to go after every run, especially those days when I cannot have breakfast immediately after my workout, I use Nurify. No GI issues and it keeps me full until my breakfast. Highly recommended. So if you are ready to finally and deliciously hit your protein numbers, head to Prevenex.com and use my code PR15 for 15% off your entire order. That's Prevenex.com, code PR15. There is no hood like parenthood. When you meet a fellow parent, you just kind of get each other on a whole nother level. Hi, I'm Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm a former CNN journalist, mom of three, including twins, and host of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast. I interview changemakers on their life lessons, legacy, and superpower of intuition, aka their mom sense and dad sense. I've had some pretty amazing parents on my show. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Episodes release every Thursday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Join my tribe at thatstotalmomsense.com and follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chanda Gupta. I'm thrilled to be on this journey with you. Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life. Because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell, and this is where you'll find those stories. I am host and producer Sheree Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner, and together with original music by musician and runner Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures. Yeah. Well, you know, then we go to the question of, do we ever find our limits? Because, you know, you look at the races of the fastest people in the world and it doesn't matter what distance it could be a sprint or it could be a marathon or whatever. And nobody's collapsing at the finish line. They're doing the victory lap. They're dancing around. There's still energy left. Does it, I mean, is it even possible to find our limits unless, you know, we die at the finish line? Yeah, that's a, it's a, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really, it's, you know, one of the things that's enigmatic about endurance performance is that it's fundamentally unknowable. Like, like you cannot know, you know, obviously, like if you really messed up a race, if you made a big mistake, you know, okay, I could have done better. But when you, you know, like take the best race you've ever done where the execution, like you just have no regrets, like you look back on that. And even then, you can't say for sure that you couldn't have gone one second faster right. um, by, by doing something different somewhere. Like there's, there, there's just absolutely no way to know. Um, and that's why you know, it's just like, you know, with your example of collapsing at the finish line, well, what happens before you collapse, you slow down, you know, mm-hmm. and you start to feel terrible. So, you know, it, none of this stuff is sudden. And that's why, again, the, the, the limit is so fuzzy that really, you know, and, and, and the, you know, the truth, the, the scientists who study pacing, who I consider the, the real experts, um, you know, they will say that like there's absolutely nothing you can measure physiologically that will will tell you definitively. Oh, there's your there's your limit. Like it's there's always different stuff going on inside your body when you 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 feel like you're at the limit of your performance. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's an enigma. It's a riddle. We'll never solve yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about um, toughness. That's one of the pillars. So we are always talking about being mentally tough. The best athletes in the world are tough. They have grit. 
Um, you know, and there is something to be said about training. Um, you know, you put yourself through a lot of physical training, which is hard to make yourself mentally tough. But we also have to be super careful about not crossing the red line. You know, you don't want to go to the well uh, too often in training. You know, some say you should only go once or twice a year, you know, go yep. come to Jesus moment or whatever. Yep. And so how do you get tough and train hard, but not all the time? Like, where's that balance? Yeah, that that is a great question. And, you know, there's there's more than one way to come at developing toughness, but like, you know, like you know, doing it, not to pick on David Goggins, but like, to, to like to David Goggins way, like, you know, just like trying to go as deep into the pain cave as possible every day. Most uh, sports psychologists would say, actually, no, that's kind of self-defeating. Um, you know, I remember Dina Castor telling me in an interview, like many years ago, she said, you know, like, and I found this highly validating because I did the same thing. She said, like, you know, when I'm in the early part of a training cycle, I'm cruising, I'm coasting through everything. And like the closer I get to a race, like I get faster in my workouts, not so much because I'm getting fitter, though I am, it's because I'm actually trying harder. So she said, like, you know, I, I just I wait until I'm really, really close. You know, I can see the start line imminent. And then I'll do, you know, a couple workouts where I, where I really bury myself. And then you know, because you, you have to do enough so that those feelings are familiar. You know, you don't want that sort of pretty intense discomfort, discomfort that you feel in a race to be the first time you've experienced that ever or in a very long time. So you need you need to go there. But like you actually don't need to. Um, like, it, like, like, like repeating that incessantly doesn't there's no additional benefit. And you actually just you're sort of like tapping out your reserves because we all have, I don't care how tough you are. Like you, you just don't, you want to have fun sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and, and the other hard part of like really, really going too hard or going really hard to find your limit or whatever, that is basically saying you're setting yourself up in a workout to probably fail. <laughs> you right. know, you're, you're gonna come away from that workout. You missed yes. your splits. You, you, you bombed out, you crashed, you yep. blew up, whatever you're going to call it. And mentally that's tough for a lot yes. of runners. That is yep. the hardest part being like, I absolutely blew it. Yes. You know, how do you shift from I'm a total failure and that sucks <laughs> into, well, I'm getting mentally tough. <laughs> that's hard. Yes. And that's why I really, um, um, in, in the book, I refer to them as limit testers. And those, those are training sessions that are set aside where actually the, the purpose is to experience intense discomfort. So when, you know, when you're looking for a, like a particular training stimulus, like I want to do so much running at such and such an intensity in those workouts, you're not really, you're not trying to beat the numbers. You're just trying to hit the numbers because like, mm -hmm. you know, it's just one day for crying out loud. You know, the training process is weeks long, but there, there can be special occasions where like, you're not so concerned about like performance being the, the purpose of the workout. It's, it's actually a qualitative thing you're looking for. And so in a limit tester, um, you know, the point is to set yourself up for like, you know, like a judicious dose of really hurting. Like, you know, one <laughs> of the ones I did um, in, tw in 2017, I trained with the NAZ Elite professional team over the summer. And their coach, Ben Rosario, had us do a workout one day where it was like, I think it was like eight times one kilometer at, at kind of a, a moderate pace. So like it was a good beefy workout that definitely, you know, left us a little fatigued. Um, but it wasn't like it, it, I was in good shape and I paced myself right. So I felt pretty comfortable. But then the end of the workout was a 1500 meter all out time trial at, mm. at, at 7,300 feet of altitude. And so, mm. you know, those, those eight times one K at a moderate pace kind of softened me up and then boy, did that 1500 hurt, but it was over with in, you know, four minutes and, and change. And it was a really confidence building ex experience. I ran a 5K race at sea level uh, less than a week after that and won, you know, because I, wow, felt, like, I felt like, like, you know, you know, the race itself is like, hey, that's nothing <laughs> compared to the time trial I did. But you really have to be sparing and, and you have to be clear about your intention. Like, you know, this is a performance workout where I'm just trying to meet the standards. And this is a limit tester where I'm, I'm trying to just, you know, callous my 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 mind a little bit for 
discomfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that part is is really important. Knowing what your goal is ahead of time, because you know most people just look at the workout and they're like, "Oh, I want to do the best I can." You know, I right. want to, yes. which means beat the numbers, go faster than yep. what it says. You know, and when they don't, they feel like a failure. But if you set yourself ahead of time and and say, "Look, I'm trying to hurt here," it's it's kind of a different mind shift. <laughs> Yes. Yep. That that clarity is key. Yeah. So um, let's talk about uh, the third pillar, judgment. So can you really teach judgment? I mean, do you have good judgment? You know, is that something that we can train? It it is. I mean, you know, like like all of these traits there, you know, there's the whole nature nurture thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for for me, for example, just rewinding to toughness for a second, like I was not naturally tough. Like, you know, that was my Achilles heel as a high school runner. But I worked on it and I got a lot better. So I, I consider my live, myself living proof that toughness is, is certainly trainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you know, the science says judgment is, is the same. And, and um, in, the, in the book, I talk about a study involving tennis players where they, um, they had an, a, like a coaching intervention involving t- videotape where they, they had, um, they had uh, young tennis players evaluate their decision making with with a coach um and so there was a control group that didn't do that and there was you know an intervention group that did have that training and and just uh, you know and that's it gets back to that reflectiveness they didn't just have the experience they reflected on the experience and and the coaches were careful to say you know point out when they did something right and also when they did something wrong um and then their decision making in matches was tracked over the course of the study and there was a, a significant improvement in you know, judgment calls in the decisions, you know, at every point in tennis, I don't play the game, but if you watch it, it's like, they're constantly making decisions. That's why you have right. shifts in momentum and, and such. And, and so, yeah, so that's tennis, not running, but running is no different. Like if you are just intentional about the process and you know, you know, what, what things to practice to improve your judgment, you can, you can definitely improve. Okay. So what are some examples of that? Are you talking about just, you know, going out for a workout and then coming home and writing down what you felt in your, in your training log? Or what do you, what do you mean by that? How can yep. we practically do that? Yep. Yeah. That's part of it. Um, you know, in the book, I talk about kind of like a, like a, a kind of a five step process and you can use this. I mean, it's especially valuable in races, but you can use it in, in any work, any workout where, you know, the pacing is important. So your, your average Wednesday easy run, hey, just go let your mind wander, you know. But, mm-hmm. but for any kind of structured workout that's going to be challenging, uh, step one is planning. So a lot of people who aren't good at pacing, they just they don't put any thought into it ahead of time. And so part of it is just, you know, like make, make a plan that, that, that makes sense. And, and that can be that can involve things like whether you run with someone or alone, um, you know, some people will, will choose someone who's, you know, faster than them and it messes up their, their pacing. Or like you could, you know, an example I give in the book is like when, when you run, like if you have an important workout where you want to hit a time that is close to your limit and you procrastinate and wait till the hottest part of the day when it's not realistic, that's bad planning that affects your right. pacing. That's one. Two is what I call emotional self-regulation. Um, because, you know, you know, running hard is stressful and, and our emotions get involved and, and uh, the, the specific emotions we experience can either be helpful or hurtful to, to our pacing and performance. So, so you can also, you can just be mindful about using your emotions to your advantage and reflecting afterward. Did I actually do that? Could I have done better? Number three is self-talk, which is kind of related. It's like you're, there's always chatter going on in your head. And like 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 the emotions, the chatter can be either helpful or hurtful. You can you can learn to regulate your self talk in ways that help you pace better. Number four is what I call tactical adjustments, and those are just like you know every every run is is unique. Like it's always a little bit different somehow than you expected, and so there will be you know usually small surprises, but surprises nonetheless. And sometimes there are big surprises. And like how well do you do in you know when those surprises occur? in making a proper, you know, smart adjustment. Uh, and then the, the last one is your attentional focus. Like you're always paying attention to something. And, you know, the science on that is neat because there's so you think of it as, yeah, attention. But you, there are so many different ways you can pay attention to things like external, internal, uh, physical, uh, cognitive, emotional. And so that stuff too, like the people who are really good at pacing know how to use 
their, their attentional focus in a strategic way. So these five elements, you can just sort of look back um, on your run and say, like, how well did I do in each of these? And, you know, give yourself a pat on the back when you did well. Take yourself to task when you didn't and, and try to do better next time. Yeah, yeah. All of, all of that stuff is great. I love every bit of that. I think that, you know, the challenge is that our brain uses carbohydrates just like our muscles do. Yep. And too much thinking while we're running yes. actually tires us out. So, yes. you know, we want to do everything that you're telling us to do. But then we're thinking, oh, wait, am I paying attention? And oh, what yes, am I supposed yep. to be doing? So that's, I think that is the real tricky yep. part, you know, yes. is that we can't make too many decisions while we're running because it slows us down. <laughs> yes, it, it, exactly. That, that's an excellent point. And really, if you're, if you're doing all these things right, you actually are using less brain energy. Like, Ooh. so it's not like, oh, these, there's these five things I got to do simultaneously. <laughs> no, they're just, they're just five things and you're doing them anyway. <laughs> like yeah. these, there's no off switch for any of these things they're happening. So it's just a matter of like, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're doing these five things, the way the really, really good pacers do, you're actually, you're using your brain more efficiently. Like you're not wasting, mm. you're not wasting mental and emotional energy on things that aren't productive. Um, for your right. running. Yeah. And that's also why planning is so important. So you can do the heavy mental lifting while yep. you're not running <laughs> yes. make all those decisions ahead of time as much as possible. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, a great example would be, you know, familiarizing yourself with a race course before you run the race. Like mm. we, we seldom think about this, like, you know, is there a home course advantage in, in, in running? And there absolutely is because if you run somewhere you've been before, um, like you, you, you actually tune out, you can tune out a lot. Like, you know, you don't have to worry about where the turn is, you know, where the turn is. So that actually mm -hmm. frees up brain energy. So that's a great example of, of how planning specifically can actually allow you to marshal your, your very finite, uh, brain resources while you're running. Right. It's like cognitive offloading, right? Yep. Yes. Yes. <laughs> In a good way. In a good exactly. way. Exactly. No, yeah. <laughs> so one thing that I did, um, I liked uh, one little part of the book is you talked about um, an athlete that you coached who actually failed to value pacing. And yeah. I don't think that this is talked about enough. And yeah. um, so could you share that story and, and what you meant by that? Yes. Yeah. This is a, a runner I used to coach who was, uh, you know, training for a marathon where he wanted to improve. And, um, he got really, really fit and we set a goal and he did the usual thing where he like tried to, to put a little bit of time in the bank and he ended up, you know, he, he did not, you know, end up walking like I did in my first two marathons, but, you know, he lost some time, you know, toward mm. the end. And, you know, I knew as his coach, if he had, you know, just been a little more conservative in the beginning, he could have been consistent. And so his first half would have been a little slower, but his second half would have been a, a lot faster and afterward, I was dismayed when, you know, as I say in the book, like usually when an athlete of mine is satisfied with a race, I'm happy too. But this guy right. was, this guy was happier than he should have been. He's, you know, he said, he said to me, like, I, you know, cause I saw his data upload before we talked and he said, you know, coach, I only lost a few minutes at the end and I wanted to tear my hair out. I'm like a few minutes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, imagine that in another sport, like, you know, like I only got hit on the jaw a few extra times in the boxing match because I didn't, I couldn't be bothered to keep my hands in front of my face. It's like, yeah, you know, like, come on, it's a sport. Like, you know, like, right. like I get it. We don't all have to be hyper aggro about it, but like you trained really hard for this race. Like, you know, like what's a few minutes, a few minutes is, is quite a lot as a matter of fact. So, you know, why, why waste them if you don't have to? So yeah, yeah. Value, value pacing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's harder to do I mean, I think your value of pacing kind of goes down if your race is going south, yes. you know, you, you know, you talk about your self-talk and your emotions. I mean, I had a race that I was very, very close to reaching my dream goal and ended up all by myself in the wind um, you know, in no man's land. And I was just like, oh, well, it's, it's good enough. <laughs> you know, yes. you know, I'll be, I'll be a minute short of my goal, but who cares? So you start telling yourself, you stop valuing yes. pacing when, th <laughs> when things yes. are going wrong. So do you have any advice for that? 
Yeah, you, you know, like we we all go there. I mean, you know, even Olympians have have those moments. And and for me, I got to the point where those are actually my favorite. I mean, I I wanted every race to go well, mm-hmm. but those were those are really my favorite moments as I, as I was you know, when I was really a veteran runner because that's when it actually matters to like have yeah. a strong mental game. Like, you know, when it's going well, everyone's a mental giant. But like when it's <laughs> when things start to go sideways, that's when you have a chance to really show your stuff. Um, you know, I remember, you know, for example, in, in the 2019 Boston Marathon, I went through a rough patch. It was it was a warm day. And I had had enough bad marathons where I'm like, here we go again, <laughs> you know, and it was pretty yeah. early. It was like, you know, yeah. b- before the halfway point. And, you know, so I started, you know, that negative chatter started to enter my head. But then I, I sort of like called a timeout on myself. I'm like, just relax. Like, you know, so a, a trick I use sometimes that I think any runner could is like, take the, take the next mile off, you know, just like, let's just take this mile off. Like a one, it's a 26 mile race. I'm just going to take this one off. And it doesn't mean I stop. It just means I, I don't look at the watch for that mile. I just focus on like, you know, if I need to slow down to preserve the rest of the race, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to worry about mm. my, my goal or anything. And sure enough, like, you know, I came out of it and I, yeah, that was the slowest part of the race for me. But whereas a younger me might've just said, no, my goal is going out the window and, and forced it and crashed and burned later. I was able to salvage a race and it was because of, the tool, the mental tools I developed. So that's the attitude I would encourage every runner to take. It's like, no, you don't want those bad patches to happen, but not everyone reacts to them the same way. You can either cope well or average, or you can cope poorly. Don't you want to be the runner who copes well? Because, Because it is possible. Yes. Yes, it is. Well, I think what most people are looking for, I mean, it's human nature. We want to read a book or listen to a podcast and get the answers and know what to do without actually doing it yes. ourselves. But yes. why doesn't it work that way? Why can't we talk? You and me have this podcast, tell everybody exactly how to pace a marathon perfectly. Why can't we do it in real life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I am so glad that that is not the case, you know, um, <laughs> you know, in, in, you know, in, in the book, I, I, I wax a little bit poetic about how I love the word performance for what we do in races, because it really is like, you know, uh, it's like that old quote from Heraclitus, uh, you know, a man cannot cross the same river twice because it's not the same river and he's not the same man. Like, Every uh, race you do, every race you do is a little different. You're not the same runner and it's not uh-huh. the same race. And so, you know, all the preparation in the world, um, it sure helps, but it, it cannot do it all for you. It cannot run the race for you. Like the race is not run on paper. And so it really is up to you. You know, just like any performing artist will tell you, it's like knowing my lines is not enough to deliver a great performance. Like every time I step on that stage, it's a high wire act. It's up to me to deliver. And I, I just think that's great about the sport. Like, it, yeah, it's a little mm-hmm. daunting, but like that makes it dangerous, you know, and exciting. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it gives you the promise of, um, of improving over time. You know, I used to wonder when I was a young runner, like what's going to keep me motivated to compete when I'm you know over 40. Well, I found out it's because I actually could keep improving, you know, above the neck, even as the rest of my body kind of, you know, fell apart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that is definitely very inspiring. So we've talked a lot about pacing, like actual pacing of running, you know, a mile or or 26.2 miles. But you also talk about macro pacing. What do you mean by that? Yeah, macro pacing is is my term just for um, you know pacing writ large, so pacing on broader time scales. Um, so you know the scientific definition of pacing is the goal directed distribution and management of effort across an exercise bout. So that was a lot of words, but like those last two words are key and or three words and exercise bout like one run, right? That's what we, that's micro pacing. That's what we usually think of as pacing, but there's also, you know, you can pace your life and we can all think of times when like, you know, we were going a mile a minute, super busy, harried and hectic up to a lot of things. And we can also think of other times in our life when we just had a nice slow pace and there wasn't that much going on and everything in between. So that is, is macro pacing. And, and, um, you know, 
the, the point I try to get across in, in the last chapter of the book, which is on macro pacing, is if you look at um, runners who had incredible longevity, um, you know, where they've just, they don't, they don't just reach their peak and flame out like a comet, like they stay on top. The example I, I start off with in that chapter is Abdi Abdi Rahman, um, yes. you know, American runner who qualified for five Olympics the last time at age 43. Yes. Uh, in the 2020 U.S. Olympic Trials Marathon, just an incredible career. And when you study these people, it's like, okay, what's their secret? It's not a gene. It's <laughs> like it, it's a lot of psychological stuff, like you know, maintaining their passion for the sport, and also that you find that these people who have like really pro protracted primes are really balanced people. So yes. you might think, oh, they're the ones that are super hyper obsessed with running and it's all they think about. No, actually, they're the ones who have a lot of other stuff going on. And sometimes they know when to just put the running aside for a minute and focus on something else. That, that, that actually like that sort of pacing actually allows them to keep running well after 40 and 50 and so on. Yeah, yeah, I've I've spoken with Abdi and and he likes to have fun. That's what yes. that's his big thing is likes to yes. have fun. And that is something that you also talked about in the book. Why is yep. fun so important? We are so like obsessed with running and getting better and getting you know, I have been there and way too obsessed with running and I forgot to have fun. So, yep. why is fun important? You know, it, it it it's important first of all, you know, if you're just I mean well, it's important because fun is fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> like it is, it is nice to experience fun. But even from a performance perspective, fun is good because, um, you know, there's this ten tendency to think like when it comes to a sport, like you can either be serious and perform well or you can have fun and not perform well. Well, that's not what the sports psychology research demonstrates. It's actually we never perform better than when we're having the most fun. You know, mm -hmm. the more you enjoy something, the more you invest yourself into the process. Um, so like the, the two actually go hand in hand. And, and what happens with so many runners is like we almost never fall in love with running because of like, you know, numbers. Right. We fall in right. love with it because like we just love the activity or just how it makes us feel. Um, you know, the, all those things. And then but what happens is like, yeah, it becomes a sport and we become we become like, like, um, you know, sort of laser focused on PRs and, and EQs and all this stuff. And then right. suddenly we like, we're not running for the same reason we fell in love with it anymore. And it's not fun. And our, and guess what happens? Our performance tanks. Um, mm -hmm. and you see this even with elite, elite runners. So like just maintaining the fun factor is, is huge. And, and a mistake I made early on as, as a coach, when I started to really focus on teaching pacing with, with runners is that, is that sometimes the fun started to be bled out of running for them because they, you know, cause it, it's really, really hard to perfect. In fact, there's probably no such thing as perfecting pacing. So what I found with some of my runners is that they kept feeling like failures because the pacing wasn't perfect. And I'm like, well, this is no good. Like, you know, it's, we, we want to work on this pacing thing, but it, it has to stay fun. So I kind of course corrected and, and found ways to, to keep the fun in the process of developing pacing skill. Yeah, perfect. Make a game out of it. Play some play some games with yourself. Try to get those paces down perfectly, but with with a little bit of humor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and celebrate yeah. Pro progress. You know, that that's, you know, progress is progress. Perfection is unattainable. Absolutely. I think that is a perfect way to wrap this one up. So Matt, tell everybody where they can find you and all about your new book on pace and when, when we can get it. Sure. Um, I guess, you know, the, the, the best place to look for the book is 8020. So I am the publisher of this book. It's the first book I've ever written that I'm also the publisher of. I, nice. a couple, couple partners and I started our own publishing imprint that's called 8020. Uh, publishing. And so if you go to 8020books.com, you can read a free sample chapter and order it. Um, my website is mattfitzgerald.org. And then my my training website is 8020endurance.com. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show, Matt. I really appreciate talking to you again. I think this book is super valuable, especially for people who are obsessed with pacing so they can learn to not be so obsessed maybe and learn how to run by feel. I think it's, I think it's a great piece of work. Like, like all your other books are, of course. 
I appreciate that. And congratulations on the success of your new podcast. Uh, you are Thank very you. good at what you do uh, and uh, it's well-deserved. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And um, I have more respect for you after writing a book. I don't think I'm ever going to do that again. (laughs) I'm going to leave it to the real writers, but I really appreciate that. So um, thanks again. You bet. And now it's time for the Mental Strength Minute. Fortify your mind in 60 seconds or less. Today's topic is counting. There's lots of ways you can use counting as a mental strength technique when running gets hard. One of my favorites is to use it as a distraction tool when the negative thoughts get too loud when running a tough workout. Counting fills your brain with something neutral instead of negative. You could count your footsteps or your breaths, but what I do is simply count to 20 over and over. I don't go any higher because it starts to change the rhythm. Counting is something you've done since you were a small child, so it takes almost no thought, which is important when running hard. All you do is focus on getting to 20, not about how hard you are running. Before you know it, you're done with the workout, and the negative thoughts never had a chance. Thank you for listening to or watching The Planted Runner, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Don't forget that you can win a copy of my book for leaving an Apple podcast review. So be sure to write yours right after your run today. Reviews are the number one way to boost this show's reach. And it's a great way to tell me what you'd like to hear next, because I read every single one. Have a great run today. Hear Her Sports is a podcast for everyone who loves stories by and about women striving to improve and make a difference in their lives. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery, a former professional cyclist. In every episode, I introduce a female athlete or woman in the business of sport through a thoughtful conversation about who they are and the terrific work they're doing. My guests and I explore the glorious and frustrating issues in sports, history, equity, training, nutrition, and so much more. Join us for inspiration, for community, and for love of being a strong athletic woman.